now it's time for Nostalgia Town, where we speak with well-known older Australians about the journey they took that makes them the person they are today. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century with me, Lex Marinos, and you... Patricia Amphlett, you might know me as Little Patty. I do know you as Little Patty. I know you as Big Lex. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> We've got a wonderful guest with us in Nostalgia Town today, Kamal. Kamal sang his way into the Australian's heart in the late 1960s, and he's been there ever since. Now 87 years old and still performing, Kamal is cherished for his unique brand of compassion, love and entertainment. Born in Kuala Lumpur, Kamal arrived in Australia as a 19-year-old to study at the University of New South Wales. Kamal attracted the attention of Rupert Murdoch while singing an Adelaide concert in 1958. The young singer was tipped £10. Murdoch urged Kamal to move to Sydney and booked him for a season at the Australia Hotel. Kamal even boarded with the Murdochs for two years. Kamal went on to create a stellar career with gold and platinum records, performances at the London Palladium, Carnegie Hall, and was one of the first acts to appear in concert at the Sydney Opera House. Kamal, welcome to Baby Boomer's Guide. Wow. Kamal, this is Paddy here, Kamal. and. As one of our most much-loved performers, you are still performing and we're so happy that you are. And some friends of ours went to see your little concert the other day and and said you were just as good as ever and you seem to love every minute of it. Do you still love to perform? Well, I mean, uh, actually, uh, what I do is communicate, not perform. Ah, even better. (laughs) No, 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 but that's what it's all about. Actually, you know, the thing is, one of the things you said was, I did my first television show in 1959. 17th, 17th of October, 1959. I was, I mean, it, it's all about trying to overcome insecurities and inferiority complex. Mm. And by the way, for the first six years, I was known as Camel, not Kamal. <laughs> because, uh, you know, it was K-A-M-A-L without the H. So I put an H as a deterrent. And eventually it took effect after many years. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, looking back over all of this, well, by the way, I did go to college first before going on to university. And I'm one of the, maybe I'm the slowest learner on the, on the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe uh, two things, uh, that I'm still alive and still communicating. And to have uh, had the uh, opportunity most recently, the 18th, on the 2018, I did the Invictus uh, poem for Prince Harry. And that, to me, it was the apex of, uh, of, of communication, meaning at the end of it, or the end of the poem after reciting Invictus, he walked towards me with his arms uh, wide open as if to hug me, and I the thought went through my head, I, you know, the idea of a white prince hugging a black man wouldn't be a good look. So I shook his hand instead. Aww. And he wiped a tear to say that that was one of the most emotional experiences of his life. I mean, I couldn't believe that. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this whole thing is, it's a puzzlement, meaning I can't believe it. And uh, and I'm grateful for that. At the same time, at the other end, the humiliation of being hit 
while I was performing on a television show here Saturday while I was singing, I was hit in the face with a powder puff. That was disgusting. I think that was the most humiliating, given that the following week I was doing my second concert at Carnegie Hall and to be introduced by Bob Hope. And I remember Darrell asked, inviting me to where he was, and he said, oh, now you're going to... Carnegie Hall as a white man. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, I know. And uh, that's possibly the other end to keep me sane of, of mm. uh, the kind of things. You know, it's a combination, a weird combination of racism, envy, and uh, jealousy or whatever it is. Why they did that, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really know. But, you know, but it, it keeps you trying to have a, a balance so that, I don't get too carried away with my self-importance. Kamal, both Lex and I and many other people have lived through those terrible experiences that you had earlier on. We watched it. We hated it. We didn't like it at all. We, We felt for you. But equally, as time has gone on, we've watched how you've dealt with it over the years and come out always on top with such grace. And dignity. By the way, I need to say that it happened in 1984. I never mm. talked about it. I never, and I, I, I never discussed it with my wife. And the whole thing erupted uh, when uh, Harry Corrin Jr. came. If he hadn't uh, appeared on the television show, that whole episode would have never been heard. Yes, indeed. Channel Seven arrived the next morning. Uh, to uh, to ask me about it and uh, ask me if if I thought he he was racist, I said no. I'm more racist than they are. I said I married an Indian, uh, which was sort uh, <laughs> of a no-no in Malaysia, mm-hmm. and they were not the least bit interested in my views about racism. Mm-hmm. And they kept they kept asking me about it and. And the journalist was desperate, and he left frustrated. And as he was leaving, he said, Kamal, are you going to sue Channel 9? And I, you know, flippantly, I said, what a great idea. (laughs) It was front page news the next day. Of course. Uh, Even my wife said that I was a hypocrite to to be criticizing because they were so good to me. But uh, that's, that's the way, you know, it's. Perception is 90% and and knowing is 10%. And the perception, you know, it's such a such a dangerous thing in a way. Yeah. Tell me what you know, not what you believe. Indeed. Mm. Kamal, can we go back to your early days in, in Malaysia and your upbringing? What do you remember from those days? Well, uh, when you just said to me, I remember I was meeting a Japanese officer and who put his hand on his side, and I saw something silver flash, and I thought I'm going to lose my head. And uh, it was a Japanese officer gave me a bar of chocolate, and I grabbed it and ran and left my cow behind. And uh, that that when you ask that question, that sort of that uh, I that image uh, has lasted with me all my life. And uh, because the, when the Japanese were there, you know, there were lots of heads stuck on poles all over oh, Kuala Lumpur. Mm. By the same token, instead of removing my head, he gave me a bar of chocolate. But, you know, that's, that's, that's my life. You know, I mean, uh, at the worst, worst moment, something uh, nice happens. And uh, 
you already said about, you know, rather than talk about Malaysia, the serendipity of, of meeting Rupert in 1958 at the Lido, uh, that was one of the... But the man who made it all possible was the registrar of the University of Adelaide, Harry Wesley Smith. Because when I, when he received a uh, notice from the immigration department that I should be deported by the end of 58, uh, he, he called me to his office and he said, look, what am I going to do? The, the, your uncle wants to know how well you're doing and the immigration wants uh, you deported by the end of December 58. Uh, but my sons tell me that you've been ringing, singing around the club come home and sing for us or sing for me. So I sang for him. And he said, uh, your uh. voice is reasonable, but why do you make faces like that? Because <laughs> I was making faces like Nat King Cole. I imitated Nat King Cole from the end of 53 till 1960. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and when I sang, he opened his mouth very wide. And I also thought when I first heard him that he had a very sore throat. A few weeks later, I bought an uh, Nightwing Call uh, album, and it said it was the voice uh, of Velvet or something like that. So I was confused. So I went back to Malaysia in 1961. My mother took me inside. He said, son, uh, I'm really worried, you know, now that you're going to sing White Man's Song, can you sing something for me? So I sang something very softly, and she said, she screwed her face up and very concerned, very worried. She said, son, now that you're going to sing White Man's Song, does that hurt your throat to make noises like that? And I still believe I make noises. I don't sing, but uh, because I've, <laughs> what I try to make, the sound I make is a combination of Nat King Cole and Paul Robeson. Mm. But uh, I think I have an element of the uh, liabird, liabird. Liabird. In other words, I have a minuscule atom of a few atoms of, uh, the Liarbird. I don't know how I do it, but I also, you know, I'm able to make uh, repeat uh, German tongue twisters that the Germans can't repeat, but I don't <laughs> know how I do that. We're glad that you can do all that. And no matter what you might call it, there are millions of Australians who think and know that you have a beautiful, rich tone, a beautiful voice. And when you sing songs, you make, you tell stories, you make the Words come alive. Yeah, that's what that's precisely what I was trying to tell you from the beginning mm-hmm. that I communicate. You know, in other words, trying to make friends and and you know and and re- in recent times, uh, I have you know uh, uh, learned some poems. I mean, again, coming back to Prince Harry with with Invictus and uh, poems and prose and and also you know poems like Desiderata. Or the the prose called Time from the musical Time. Are you familiar with it? No. No, I've heard about it, but I'm not familiar with Is it. That, that's the one Lawrence Olivier did, and uh, ah. that talks yes. about about you know lessons of life, you know. And uh, I'm also incurable uh, and an incurable romantic. But uh, yeah, there you are. So the. You know, I think I wish I had paid a little more attention when I was growing up in Adelaide. But in search of uh, in in search of acceptance, I did I did anything and everything. I even played sport, 
And believe it or not, I got a hat trick with the first three balls of the season in 1955. <laughs> hey. and, and met Sir Donald Bradman the same evening. Wow. And eventually in 1930, I went to his home 33 years later in 1988. And it was the beginning of a friendship that lasted till uh, 13, you know, till 2001. And uh, we. Uh, Exchange about nearly about 60 letters. Uh, the, the very first time I took them out to lunch was a rather an interesting experience. And uh, and he said, uh, where are we going for lunch? And I said, I'll, uh, you know, we're going to such and such a place. And there was this uh, terrible silence and as if I had blasphemed. And then uh, I said, I'll call you back. And I called the lady who told me where to take... Uh, these two friends of mine who were more important than the Pope. Anyway, I uh, called him back. He said, oh, where were you going? And I said, to, to this place. And he said, isn't there where, where they serve semi-naked? And I said, no, we are going to uh, Chloe's, not Cleo's. <laughs> and uh, during lunch, Jesse or uh, Lady Bradman dug me in my rib. He said, uh, Kamal, I think uh, Don would be happier than the other joint. And anyway, <laughs> so that was the beginning of an unbelievable friendship. And in fact, I enjoyed Lady Bradman's company even more. I mean, she was just a wonderful human being. And uh, yes, you know, there are so, so many memories. And so I don't know how much uh, longer I can uh, communicate, but I'm going to do anything I can. In fact, you won't believe it. Uh, I've auditioned for a new musical. Oh, good on you. And it is still being edited, and it may, it may not come to being for another six months. No, another almost eight or nine months, and I will be the narrator of the musical. Oh, how wonderful. That's great news, Kamal. I can't tell you very much more, except it's based on uh, The Jungle Book by Roger Kipling. Wonderful. Beautiful. We'll look forward to hearing more about that. Well, I'm looking forward to doing it. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Nat King Cole and Paul Robeson. Were there other artists that uh, inspired you or influenced you? Uh, maybe I became an Obama tragic uh, after picking up a book in uh, 2007, and it said, it said the audacity of hope, and I picked it up. Something made me say immediately, no white person, male or female, will ever come up with a book and call it The Audacity of Hope. And uh, I don't know why I thought that. And then when, when I looked at the name, it was a name I had never heard before. It said Obama, Barack Obama. And, uh, and I had the honor of dining with him in 2011. And, uh, and I have the same feeling about this young lady. And I wrote to Rupert, and I said, my, one of my dreams is to see a, a woman in the White House, and she, and she may not be white. And uh, and his reply was, Elizabeth Warren was a stronger candidate. We do have Kamala Harris, who's very different American and a wonderful American. Would you agree with that? I, I think she's on a par with Obama. I think she has the means, she has the intelligence, the uh, able to articulate, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fact, if you look at Facebook, I've been following her since uh, uh, 2019, when mm -hmm. uh, when I first saw her. And I, I think she, she has, of course, you know, the racism in America will try and drown her, but if she can survive that, 
I think mm. she would make history yet again. She made mm. history as a vice president and as a woman. And I think, uh, for for my money, I, I think she she is the best uh, the best individual available at the moment. But as a future president, Kamal, let's just talk about your own career for a moment again. You've left a great legacy of of recordings and uh, and videotapes and everything. But when you look at your own, look back on your own recording career, which ones stand out for you? Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've recorded nearly, nearly 400 songs. But I think what happened was in 1970, against all odds, uh, my dreams were shattered because I recorded a song, All I Have to Offer You. And at that time, if you may remember, there was an industrial dispute. And all Commonwealth records, including the Beatles, were not being aired. And uh, so I was absolutely devastated. And out of uh, out of nothing, I created this idea. I, I uh, cut a long story short. I rang BP, the uh, the petrol station, the the headquarters in Melbourne, and I said, I have an idea. And I said, I'll give you an album. I don't want a cent for it. You promote it, and all of the profits you can give it to your favorite charity. And the guy listened to it. He said, oh, "We got million ideas like that," and hung up. And he called oh, me yeah. half an hour, half an hour later. He said, "What was that idea?" He said, "I'm going to Port Moresby. I will come by your hotel, uh, the the travel lodge in St Kilda, St Kilda Road." And uh, we chatted. And at the end of that was an album called Peace on Earth. And uh, cut a long story short, instead of uh, eight eight thousand, that would have been gold. We did 135,000, and they reckon they could have done 250,000 if there were enough places, any uh, any printing machines to print the albums. And mm-hmm. and in it, there was a song called The World The Way I Want It by Tom T. Hall. And that uh, inspired, you know, I, I actually made up the commercial on, on the spot, and that was it. If I could have The World The Way I Want It, what a day tomorrow would be. And and that song and that album uh, was the reason ABC gave me two eight eight uh, episodes each year in 1971 and 71 and 72. Uh, you know, so it, this, this whole, I mean, I, I had no experience to do a show of my own. There were so many other entertainers who were, who were gifted a thousand times more, but I was given the episode to do 16 half-hour episodes with a full orchestra and choir and dances. Unbelievable. I mean, it's bizarre. Oh, wow. That's that's something I didn't know and I guess many people didn't. How important, now that we're all getting more mature, <laughs> uh, you're, I know how young you are these days, what about social connections, Kamal? Do you keep in touch with many people? I try, but uh, I spend I, I one of my sins or one of the uh, negatives is I watch uh, I, I follow. I mean, I on the social media I'm on Twitter a little too much, and uh-huh. uh, yeah, and and Facebook. I know I don't know enough about Facebook, but I find Twitter. It's it's like standing in a highway and se- seeing the whole world pass by, and occasionally somebody waves, and you stop and have a brief conversation. And <laughs> and in that in that level, I meet people from all walks of life, 
uh, in fact, uh, even the daughter of the former the Ginsburg, you know, the the lady who passed away, the Supreme Court judge, mm, mm. and I met her daughter through through that. In fact, I met her here in uh, in Sydney uh, three years ago. She came here for a convention, and she was hosting the uh, it was the APRA convention about royalties, and mm. because she was there, because she was American. And I, uh, without asking anybody, recited the Gettysburg Address. I mean, that was a stupid thing to do, but I wanted to impress. <laughs> and we became friends. I do some stupid things. May I ask you, do you still keep in touch with Rupert Murdoch? Yeah, I still do, because we keep in touch every time one of the, his relatives, his, uh, his older sister Helen passed away, and then her husband Jeffrey passed away. Uh, it is unfortunately, it is always the passing of our mutual friends mm. that uh, keeps us together. But, you know, his older sister, Helen, who passed away, would have been, like with her mother, Dame Elizabeth, who are two of my greatest fans is the wrong word, but uh, greatest supporters. And uh, especially Dame Elizabeth. In fact, I sang at her 90th birthday. And uh, she had 500 of her lady friends. Uh, and then for her 100th birthday, they had Jose Carreras. They upgraded me. And uh, so uh, and the story is told that when she, when Jose Carreras sang for her at his 90th birthday, she fell asleep. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, but she didn't fall asleep for you. No. I, in fact, I, I had dinner with her when she was 101. And I took Lovely. a friend of uh, mine, Basil Sellers, uh, who was being awarded uh, the, the Roten Cutler Medal, and uh, and she, he needed a successor, so I recommended Dame Elizabeth, and uh, she agreed to be uh, the successor, and she was awarded the medal. But she said, bring your friend over to have lunch with me, and when she was 101, we had lunch together. So it, it's a bizarre life that I've had. And I don't know how many more uh, days or nights uh, that I can survive, but every every day I'll make it a day that I can contribute. Gosh, it's been lovely speaking with you, Kamal. It was my pleasure. My pleasure. Kamal, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the decades of pleasure that you've given us, and may you go on forever. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> 